Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Teddy Stollard was a boy Miss Thompson just didn't like, and for good reasons. He was a sullen boy, and he sat slouched in his seat with his head down. When you spoke to him, he, was al- he always answered in monosyllables, yes, no. His clothes were musty and his hair unkept. He was an unattractive boy in just about every way. Whenever she marked Teddy's paper, she got a certain perverse delight out of putting X's next to the wrong answers. And when she put an F at the top of his papers, she always did it with flair. She should have known better. Teachers have records, and she had Teddy's records. First grade, Teddy shows promise with, a work, with his work and attitude, but a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy is a good boy, but he's too serious for a second grader. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade, Teddy has become withdrawn and detached. His mother died this year. His father shows no interest. Fourth grade, Teddy is a troubled child. He needs help. Well, Christmas came. The, children's brought pre- the children brought presents to Miss Thompson and piled them on her desk. They crowded around to watch her open them. All the presents were wrapped in brightly colored paper, except for Teddy's. His was wrapped in brown paper and held together with scotch tape. But to tell the truth, she was surprised that he even brought a present. When she tore open the paper, out fell a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing and an almost empty bottle of cheap perfume. The other children giggled at the shabby gift, but Miss Thompson had enough sense to snap the bracelet on and to take some of the perfume out of the almost empty bottle and put it on her wrist. Holding her wrist up to the other children, she said, isn't it lovely? And the other children, taking their cue from the teacher, all agreed. At the end of the day, when all the other children had left, Teddy came over to her desk and said softly, Miss Thompson, all day you smell just like my mom used to smell. That's her bracelet you're wearing. It looks very nice on you. I'm really glad you like my presence. After he left, she got down on her knees and buried her hands in her, her head in her hands, and she cried and cried, and she asked God to forgive her for her insensitivity. The next day, when the children came to class, they had a new teacher. It was still Miss Thompson, but she was a new teacher. She cared in ways that the old teacher didn't. She reached out in ways that the old teacher didn't. She reached out to all of the children, but especially to Teddy. She nurtured him and encouraged him and tutored him when he needed the extra help. By the end of that school year, Teddy had caught up with a lot of the children and was even ahead of some of them. Teddy moved away and Miss Thompson didn't hear from him for a long time. Then one day, out of nowhere, Miss Thompson received a note that said, Dear Miss Thompson, I'm graduating from high school. I wanted you to be the first to know. Love, Teddy Stollard. There was um, four years later, there was another short note and it just read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I'm second in my class. 
The university has not been easy, but I have really liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. And then four years later, there was still another note. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. Also, I'm going to be married on the 27th of July, and I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat. You're the only family I have left now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. And she went, and she sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. She was a person who has done something great for the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to talk about the subject of love. Love is something that we use on a regular basis, but it doesn't necessarily um, always have the full effect and, and apply to us. In Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts, Paul praised the value of love. He started it, at, uh, he, he stated that it is the more excellent way. He emphasized it as a necessary component that has to be present along with any gift, any ability, any service that we perform. If we don't have love, we're noise. We, we don't matter if what we do isn't motivated out of love. You can be the greatest whiz-bang that ever was, but if you don't out of act out of love, you have nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 1, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if, the gift, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is superior to all spiritual gifts. He even praised it over faith and hope. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says that in the end there will be faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of all of those is love. So why is love valued so high? Why is it more important than faith or hope? And, and if it is such a great trait, then how should it look in our lives? Well, first of all, let's look at why love is the greatest. First of all, love motivated God to save us. It was out of love for, the, for us, for you and I, that God gave his son. In John 3, 16 and 17, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. He sent him to save them. And then in 1 John 4, he says, God showed his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. 
Real love isn't our love for God, but his love for us. God sent his son to be the sacrifice by which our sins are forgiven. The greatest of God's love is seen when we stop to consider that we don't deserve God's love. That, that we need to understand that, that it, it is offered to us while we were still sinners. We were in rebellion. We don't clean up and become acceptable to God. And then he loves us. He loves us while we are unacceptable. Romans 5, Christ died for us at the time when we were helpless and sinful. No one is really willing to die for an honest person, though someone might be willing to die for a truly good person. But God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us, even though we were sinful. So the first thing we need to understand is love is what motivated God to save us. The second thing we need to understand is love is what motivated Christ to die for us. John 15, 13, the greatest way to show love for friends is to die for them. Notice that it says to show love for friends. God is putting all of our sin and all of our rebellion aside, and he is offering us free, unconditional salvation because he loves us. He's, he's saying, I am willing to set aside your rebellion, your hatred toward me, and I am offering you the gift of salvation. Ephesians 5 says, let love be your guide. Christ loved us and offered his life for us as a sacrifice that pleased God. So God was motivated by love to save us. Christ was motivated by love to die for us. And so love should be what motivates us to live for Christ. Second Corinthians five says, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We're motivated out of love for Christ to live for Christ. If we look at the life of Paul, we see a perfect example of that. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Love motivates us to live for Christ and that should lead to us being motivated by love to live for one another. Love is an action. It is, it, love is not a, a concept. It, it should be demonstrated by the way we live. Love doesn't sit by passively. We must be people of action that are motivated by love. Uh, 
18th century poet by the name of John Oxenham, you can guess he's English just by that name, um, wrote, love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands, and while it lives, it gives. For this is love's prerogative, to give and give and give. Love is an action. Love is what we do. It's not what we think. It, it has to be the action, the, the motivation of our lives. The love of Christ should inspire us to love each other. John 13, 34 says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. First John 4, 11, dear friends, since God loved us this much, we must love each other. Love can and should be a very powerful motivating force in our lives. So how do we show our love? If, you know, I, hopefully I, I have made the argument that, that love should be present and it should be there. How should we love? First of all, we should love toward God and Christ. They love us, we reciprocate. By keeping the commandments is, is the first thing, by, by being obedient to Christ. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. John 14, 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So our first order, it, the way we show love is by being obedient to Christ then we show it by being loving toward one another, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. John 15, 12, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. First John 4 says, if someone says, I love God, but they help, hate their fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we do not love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So right there, you need to stop and just say, am I a loving person? Am I loving toward the, the other body of Christ? Not just the ones you, you get along with, but to everyone. Are you a loving person? The Bible here says you're a liar if you think you are, are a follower of God and yet you have hatred, you have strong dislike toward other people. Bible says we're liars, that we're fooling ourselves. God, you know, God's great love toward us isn't so much that, that we love God, but that he loves us. And so what we are to do is we are to love in return. Our love should be a rebound of God's love for us. And we are to show that love, first of all, to God through being obedient to him. And second of all, toward loving each other. 
by helping each other when they are in need, when they are in physical need. First John 3, 16 through 18 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees his brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So the way we demonstrate love is by, by showing it, by, by action, by helping people who are struggling, helping people who are going through tough times, by supporting people. Uh, that, that's the way you show it. And then by helping them when they are in spiritual need as well. And a lot of times those two things go hand in hand, helping someone physically and helping someone spiritually. Uh, those, those two happen at the same time. First Peter 4, 8 says, most people, most important of all, show a deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Well, that's an interesting statement. What does it mean to cover a multitude of sins? What that means is that when we love, we get in somebody's corner. We go to bat for them. We, we help them fight the battles that they're, they're fighting. We, we get down and dirty with them. James 5, 19 and 20 explains it. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders from the truth and, it, and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. When we, when we care about somebody and we see that someone is struggling, that someone is hurting, that someone is, is falling down, then we don't sit back and go, I just knew it. I knew that was going to be what would happen to them. I've always known that's the kind of person. You know, that, that's not the mindset that, that a Christian has. A Christian instead is going to step in and, and come along and pick that person up and say, I love you too much to let you let you drown. You know, think of Teddy Stollard instead of of just disliking and condemning. Start having empathy for that that person and come alongside them and say, let me help you. Let me hurt with you. Let me let me help you with your physical issues that you're dealing with. Whatever it might be, paying a light bill or or doing some repair in a house or fixing a broken window so there's not as much cold air coming through. I don't know what whatever the physical need might be. But then at the same time coming alongside and saying I care about you the person. I'm not just interested in putting a patch on whatever your problem is. I want to help you. And so you pray with them. You cry with them. You hurt with them. You love them. And you support them and you walk with them and you show them in the scriptures how much God cares about them and loves them. And, and you, you, 
you walk through the difficulty with them. You get dirty. That's what Christianity looks like. It's not sitting in church. It's not, it's not just looking down your nose at someone because they don't measure up to your standards. It's getting down and dirty and gritty. My first career choice was social, uh, to be a social worker. And the reason that I was going to be a social worker is I believe that if Jesus were walking the earth today, that's what he would be doing. You identify with people that are hurting and you try to figure out ways to help them. That's what a social worker does. And so as a Christian, we need to be spiritual social workers. We need to come alongside people and say, let me help you with what you're dealing with, with the, the struggles that you're going through. Let me help you get through this difficult time that you're give, getting through. And then once they have gotten through that, then they are in position to help other people. That's the way Christianity is supposed to work. We have made Christianity a religion where we all show up and we pretend like everything's fine at our house and we pretend that we don't have anything wrong going on in our lives and we put up this little shield, this little wall, and we all pretend like we've got it all together and we all go home empty and we all go home broken and nobody ever gets well, nobody ever gets right with God because we have this spiritual hardness that's in place. And the best thing that could happen is for us to be broken so publicly that everybody sees our brokenness. And then we could all come together and cry together and support each other and love each other. We need to begin to care about one another. By, we need to set examples of love and loving God by being good, godly people, by, by keeping God's commandments. You know, whether we're in church or whether we're in the workplace or whether we're out socially, we need to be consistent people. We need to be godly people all the time. First John 5, 1 and 2 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children also. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. If we truly love one another, we're going to encourage each other and we're going to provide a good example in our own life and we're going to encourage each other to godly living. You know, does, does our life give an example of love to the world. When people look at us, do they see a loving person or do they see a hard, snarky, unkind person? Uh, you know, who are you to what the, the community sees? 
And that leads us to how do we show our love to our enemies? Remember that God loved us while we were his enemies. We didn't clean up our act and say, okay, God, I'm good enough for you to love me now. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 6 through 10, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Notice, while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, and we have used the word sinners so much that it has lost its punch. It has lost its, the slap in the face that it is. But from God's standpoint, a sinner is the most vile, wretched, disgusting, reprehensible individual there is. We were sinners before Christ died for us. As children of God, we are to be like our heavenly father. And that means we are to love our enemies. That means we are to bless those who curse us. We are to do good to those who hate us. We are praying for those who are spiteful and who persecute us. Just as Jesus did, we are to do. Remember what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's what we're to be like. And maybe you're sitting there saying, well, yeah, that's Jesus. Of course, you know, none of us can can measure up to that. But what about Stephen? Stephen was just a regular guy, just like you and I. As they stoned him, this is Acts 7, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. When we truly love, we want what is best for other people. And that means that we see beyond the conflict that we have with them. And instead, we see the person that is there and we see the need that they have. Stephen understood that the stoning of him, the, the, those people that were stoning Stephen, they needed Jesus Christ. And so rather than have concern for himself, he loved the very people that were killing him. During the American Revolution, there was a pastor by the name of Peter Miller, and he lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and he was a good friend of George Washington. In Ephrata, in his, his town, there also lived a man by the name of Michael Whitman, who was... 
Peter Miller's enemy. That's the best way it could be said. He was an evil-minded guy. He did everything he could to try to humiliate Peter Miller. If ever there was a conflict, this guy was involved. He was just trouble, constantly in trouble. And one day, this Michael Whitman, this, this mean, ornery, horrible guy, was arrested for treason and he was sentenced to die. He was a, a, um, considered a British sympathizer. Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of this man, this traitor. And he went to General Washington and he, he says, can you please give Grant the life of, of Michael Whitman? And George Washington says, I will not grant the life of your friend. And Peter Miller says, <clears throat> my friend, he is the bitterest enemy that I have. And Washington says, what? You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? Well, that puts the matter in a different light. I will grant your pardon. And he did. And Peter Miller took back Michael Whitman with him to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. He went to bat for someone that in all right, he could have easily just sat back and said, ha, guy deserves it. There is no one who is unlovable or unworthy of love. If there is, it's that person that looks at you in a mirror. Therefore, we have no right to not love other people. We have no right. We have experienced the greatness of God's love. Our very salvation is proof of God's tremendous love for us. Every day we should be motivated by what love has done in our, our lives. In your daily life, are you motivated by that love that God has demonstrated to you? Love is the greatest attribute that should mark the life of each and every one of us as Christians. When, when properly understood, our lives should exude love. It, it, it should serve as the basis of our faith and our hope. Everything that we do, everything that we are about, everything we stand for should be colored, should be flavored with love. And now abide faith, hope, and love. The, but the greatest of these is love. Have you responded to the love that God has placed in your life by obeying the gospel, by being a faithful follower of Christ? Are you walking in love as Christ has loved you and given himself for you. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we, as always, desperately need you.
We need your love. We need to have a better, deeper, richer understanding of, of the love that you have demonstrated for us. Lord God, it's not enough for us to just have a head knowledge. It needs to take hold in our hearts. And that is my prayer this morning, that from the, the work and the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you will convict us where we need it. We need your love, Father. It's there for us, but we don't fully always appreciate it, and we certainly don't respond to it the way we're supposed to. Help us, Lord, to live lives of love. And I just pray that it will be done all for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.